So let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you that you have set us apart and we are your vessels. Lord, we long to hear from you. We long to walk in your ways. We long to glorify you. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8 today. That's verses 3 through 8 in chapter 1. Now the, the key theme here really is, is really joy, and I've titled it Paul's Thanksgiving Heart. Paul's Thanksgiving Heart. It's really God's arranged to kind of prepare us to go in to this time of Thanksgiving. Next Sunday after church, we're going to have a potluck. You got any turkey left over? Make a fancy recipe of turkey? Bring it in. Let's have fellowship together afterwards. It will be a time of testimony service. A testimony. That means that every one of you will have an opportunity to share what God has done in your life or around you somewhere this year. I have to stop at that point because God is at work all the time, all around. Amen. Well, let's read our text together. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all of you, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with affection of Christ. Remember the setting of Paul? Paul's in Rome. And, and Paul is, is not writing out of self-pity over his predicament. Rather, he's concerned about the Philippians. Back when we get to chapter 2, he's, he's going to tell us the importance of esteeming others higher than ourselves. In fact, it's been about 10 years since Paul had actually worked among them. He's chained at this time about 800 miles away to a Roman guard so he wouldn't run away facing execution. But can't you imagine Paul chained to a guard? Let me tell you a story. And he would begin to tell them about Jesus Christ. You know what? We have that opportunity each and every day in our life. There are people that you work with, people that you come to know, there's neighbors. We're looking, we're watching, and we have hearts of anticipation, and we too will tell them about Jesus Christ. Now Paul is, again, possibly grieved. And when we, when we think about the situation, not that he's in chains, but there are people, again, who are preaching the gospel with the wrong motives. And we'll see that later on, to, to hurt him. But you know, Paul just lets it kind of beat off his back, like water on a duck's back. And you know, he's excited. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ is being preached. The message of Christ. You know what he does? Is he looks for something good. And that's something that you and I need to be doing, is always looking for something good in the situation. Sometimes we can be guilty of really looking for the wrong things, looking for the bad things. Is this really true? We're trying to test every picture, and we wonder why there's no joy in our lives. See, this story really is about joy. Paul is overflowing, abundant joy, no matter what is going on in his life. And just as he is, we should be just like that and can be like that when we're looking 
for what God's doing, not what's not being done. We can become a part of the equation. We can be the one that's ministering, the one that's encouraging, the one that is doing some kind of practical things that others aren't able to do or don't have time to do. That's the ministry. That's what we're called to do. Yet, yet Paul, with everything that's going against him, he is thankful. It's real easy on Sunday morning to sing songs to the Lord. Thank, thank you, Lord. Right? It's easy. What about when someone stops right in front of you and all the things fly up around you, things fly underneath the brake pedal and everything? Are you thanking the Lord then? No. <laughs> but, 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 you know, we, we, we get sidetracked so easy. And we should live a life of thanksgiving. We should live a life of joy. We should be counting the blessings that we didn't pile up in the car in front of us. One time I was sitting out in front of the mall at the light waiting the third car in line and a car going 35 miles an hour ran right in the back of us. And I mean, it just then plunged us into the car in front of us. And you know what was important? No one was hurt. God, thank you. Cars are replaceable. It was an opportunity to minister. It was an opportunity to praise God. The person that ran into me was glazed eyes. I don't know if he was on drugs, what he was. And there was a, a young girl with him in that car that could have been killed. And God was very merciful and God was very gracious. We need to be counting our blessings each and every day. Now this church, the Philippian church, was not a perfect church, but in contrast to, to most of the churches when Paul's writing, remember the epistles are corrective. Paul's epistle here is, he does do some correction, but it's more of encouragement, more of reminder, because they are doing it. They are living it. They are growing and maturing, and, and what he wants them to do is continue to grow in that love and that grace of, of Jesus Christ. But why it's not a perfect church, it was a church that had no major moral problems or spiritual problems, but it was a precious congregation. It was a congregation that overflowed with joy, and every time that Paul thought about them, he just got excited. Now, how many of you remember that first love experience? Anyone remember that? You know where your heart just kind of pounds. You see her, see him across the campus. And they just get so excited. You know, in reality, we should be that excited every time we see one another. Every time we see someone praising God, being used by God, someone in the Bible, it should excite us. You know, that's something very important. If you're not excited about what God is doing you need to examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Test yourselves. Now, sometimes people aren't really believers. They deceive themselves in the Scripture. You can find that. But sometimes people have left that first love relationship. They need to return and, and do the things they once did. But that wasn't true of the, the Philippians. That wasn't true, again, of Paul here. Paul just was excited. Now you remember when Jesse was here, she was very exuberant and, and just, well, she was Jesse. And not everyone's that way and, and that joy will reflect in different people in different ways, sometimes subtle, sometimes it's just this precious little smile that they have on their face all the time. But when Paul writes this, when he begins to think about Notice with me in verse 1, we see the joy of remembrance. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. And Paul is continually thankful, thankful to God for the Philippian church. I want to stop for a second and I want to say that I'm thankful for each of you. Each time that you're here, each time that I see you in the Word of God, 
Each time I see you serving the Lord or ministering in the community, my heart pounds with excitement because I see God working. I see people wanting to hear Him and know Him and be used by Him and grow in Him. And I can sympathize with Paul, this excitement. I can understand. And he simply begins, I I thank my God. He's thankful. And that word thank, it's interesting because it's from that word that we get our English word, Eucharist. It's the name often used for the Lord's Supper. In fact, that's what we're going to take later on is the Lord's Supper. And we'll talk more about that later on. And it's, it's an ordinance for the believers. And the believers, what they do is they give thanks. Thanks to God. Thanks for their spiritual brothers. Thanks for their sisters. In this case, Paul's saying, thank you for those brothers. Thank you for those sisters in, in Philippi. When I was on the mainland, the church I went to, I, I was just so thankful to be among brothers and sisters that, that love Jesus Christ. Do you know that feeling? That kindred spirit, you know that they love the Lord. You know that you're going to spend all eternity with Him. And that's the heart that He has. Now Paul's phrase, again, he uses in verse 3 is, My God, my God, reflects His intimacy and His communion with the Lord. God is our God. Personally. In Galatians, if you remember, our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. I think of my kids when they would get hurt and scrape a knee and they'd see me looking at them when they get hurt and they'd run up and they cry and they want to climb up in your arms. What the Lord wants you to climb up in His arms. He wants to cuddle with you. And sometimes when times are difficult and you can't get the words out of your mouth, He inclines His ear to your mouth to hear from you. And Paul is speaking of this reflection, this love, that one, he belongs to the Lord. He knows he's loved. He knows he belongs. Isn't that a really important thing to know that you belong to someone? That your, that your wife is your wife and, and, and you don't have to worry about her with anyone else or your husband or your children. I love it when I, I, I see my kids and I don't see them as much as I would like to, but they're my kids. And, and they know it. And, and, they're, and it's, it's dad and it, it, there's that, that affection. And sometimes we, we don't talk to God in that way and God wants to be our father. He wants us to speak to him as our father. He wants to be there for every single need that you have. He wants to be there for every celebration in your life because you belong to Him. Again, he thanked God for the Philippians in, in emphasizing both the, the really the ultimate source of joy really comes from God because they have a relationship with Him and it's because of that relationship. He fills them with joy because they are in the middle of his will and they're growing in it day in and day out. Paul, every time he thinks about it, he, he just kind of gets this grin on his face and just full of joy. And I think it's very important that if there's someone that's been in your life like that, would you tell them how important they are? Would you write a card to them and something personal? Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm a man, you know that. But I never write cards to the kids. Judy always does that for me and signs. She writes the message, she asks me, and I'll kind of say something, and, and she'll sign it for both of them. But when I was reading this text, I felt that I needed to write the cards to them this year. You can go ahead and write them, sign them for both of them, but I'm going to send a personal card. How often do we just stop and tell people how much we really care about what and how God has used them in our life? What if you heard that for the first time in your life? 
Husbands, we need to tell our wives that. And wives, your husbands, that. Paul simply, he, he remembers these Philippians and, and he remembers just the, the relationship they had. And it was in a very practical way. It wasn't anything great, big, spiritual, and theology. No, no. See, when he came to them, it was on his second missionary journey. And if you remember in Acts 16, that's the background. I encourage you to read it again. But he was wanting to go one place and God was closing the door and God opened the door and he did it in the means of a vision. There was a man in Macedonia. Come and help us. Calling them over. And they assumed and believed that was God and they would go. And when they got there, they'd go down, if you remember, by the river, the river because there needed to be running water where there'd be a place of prayer. See, there needed to be 10 men, 10 Jewish men before a synagogue could ever be established there. And it wasn't a strong Jewish presence in this community. It was primarily Gentile presence. Paul remembered every little thing. He remembered the call. He remembers the, the conversion of Lydia, listening to the very word of God and God opening up her heart and, and then being baptized and her whole family being baptized. Her faith right from the very beginning was contagious. And she had that gift of hospitality and later would invite Paul over to the house and remembering and thinking. Paul wasn't thinking on the things that went wrong. We don't see those in the text. When you read the text, you, you see his heart and Paul and Silas, in Acts 16 again, they were imprisoned for simply doing God's will. And certainly when they cast out the demon out of this one girl and their owners lost the prophet, they were thrown into prison. But at midnight, how many are up at midnight? No, don't even hold your hands up. Singing praise songs, I want to add that at midnight to the Lord in prison and all the prisoners are hearing. Wow, what a story. An earthquake shakes the jail, if you remember. The doors are open. The guard is about to kill himself because if one prisoner is gone, he loses his life and Paul then says, no, we're all here. He's converted, and Paul had already been beaten. Silas had been beaten. He takes some home to his family, and his family gets saved. He gets saved, and they're cleaning all the wounds. And Paul remembers all of that. I remember one Sunday morning praying for someone when we're in the Crest Building, laying hands upon a group of men, and a man was healed instantly. And how I'd love to see that each and every day, and I don't. And time after time, God has allowed me to see things, and I know that God has allowed you to see things in your life, and that's what Paul's doing. He's just remembering all that God had done, all that God had allowed him to see, and he thanks my God. My God, he says, that personal relationship, because God, it's because of you that I know these Philippians. It's because of you, you brought me here to minister to these people. It's you that have opened up their hearts. Paul remembered all that God had done, everything that God had allowed him, and he focuses on the goodness, the kindness of those brothers and sisters, the faithfulness of them, as well as their love and generosity and compassion for others. And I've seen it in this church as well. And I thank God for allowing me to see those things. John 13, 35. You know the verse. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This fellowship was a loving fellowship. Then again in 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sins. We don't need to dwell on the negative, what this person's not doing. If the person loves the Lord and he's in the Word or she's in the Word and growing the Lord and wanting to honor the Lord, then watch and pray and watch their lives change and be transformed. 
and turn right side up. And one of the greatest joys for me is to see people come in broken or hurting and those that stay in the Word and under the Word and stay in the fellowship of the saints. As the Scripture says, it's very important to stay in the fellowship of the saints. And those that do, their lives are turned right side up. When they go through the storms, the storms are, yes, they're difficult, but you know what? They have a joy. They know it was God that sustained them. The Philippians were much like that. Those are people that when they've gone through that, they're not looking for the things that are wrong. These were the principles that Paul was teaching. And when someone disciples you, you you become like that, that person that's being discipled. They're gracious. You learn grace. But the person that focuses, dwells upon negatives and faults and shortcomings so often is full of bitterness and resentment, has a critical spirit and holding grudges. They tend to separate themselves and, and, and see their joy dries up. The person that stays in the fellowship, the person that is really esteeming others and focusing on what God is doing, that's the person that's just overflowing in joy. In fact, that's the person I want to be, and that's the person I want to be around. Would you agree with that? Isn't that who you want to be around? Well, look at the joy of intercession, because in in verse 4, Paul goes on, and always offering a prayer with joy in every prayer for all of you. Now, the, the Greek word is Deus. And in the King James, if you're reading the King James, there'd be a different word. It'd be prayer and again, please understand that it's important to understand it's meaning intercession. It's translated as request. They're interceding and making requests for others. See, here's another key for having joy is making requests for others, praying for others, making intercession that when God lays someone on your heart, that you begin to pray. Not telling God everything wrong, but but Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you pour your mercy upon them? Would you open their heart? Thanking for them. A person that's in that place has no time to think upon themselves, but they're thinking upon others. And in a sense, they're denying themselves and they're focusing on what God would have them do. And that's what intercessory prayer does. I talked about a man last week that that he always had an audience with the Lord. He'd get excited after breakfast and 90 years old, get down on a pillow and lean over a, a table or a chair and he would pray for hours. Intercessory prayer. Not everyone is called to pray in that way. But that is a gift. And it is a gift when a person prays. It's such a joy because when he, when he was done eating, he would get so excited. I have an audience with the Lord. He knew the Lord heard his prayers. He knew that God used those prayers. And that's so cool when you pray and you ask anything according to his will, it's done. You prayed that prayer of faith. Now, before you can know what His will is, you've got to be in the Word. You've got to understand what the Word is. You've got to hide it in your heart. And then the Holy Spirit then can begin to show you and begin to teach you. Paul had a ministry not only of being evangelist to the Gentiles, he had a ministry of intercession. Probably prayed very close to what Jesus would be compared to you and me. He prayed. He knew every, not just every face, he knew every name. He knew about them. And he spent time, whether it's walking, going, just praying, and it was a joy to pray for these people because he knew that God was going to answer those prayers. God loves to hear And God loves to answer prayer. God loves to reveal himself. And one of the ways he does it is through prayer. Paul, though, doesn't badmouth. Paul simply prays. 
simply goes before the Lord. He could be focusing on all, oh, is me, all the problems he's going, here I am in chains, here these guys are preaching the gospel. The thing I really want to do is out there ministering and I can't do it. Yet there were people in Nero's household that were getting saved. God had another plan. And his plan was glorious. It's interesting as we continue and we go on and Philippians 2, 4, it says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. That's a hard one, isn't it? Do not merely look out for your own interest, because we're always consumed with ourselves. But if we want to live the joyful life, here's the key. Don't be consumed with ourselves. Notice those that are pouring their lives out to other people. They're not consumed with themselves. And this is the key. See, joylessness is often joylessness, I should say, is self-centered. It's selfish. It's proud. It's vengeful. The joyful person is the one that is not concerned with his own self. Look with me in verse 5. We see the, the joy of participation. It's in verse 5. In the view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That word participation is an interesting word. It's the word we use koinia. How many recognize the name koinia? Koinia. It means fellowship. It means communion. Something that the church is to have fellowship together. When the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, they uh, again they focused upon the apostles' teaching and they had fellowship and they broke bread together, communion, and they prayed. There's the key to a happy church. God was moving in an incredible way and, and, and their faith was contagious. It was affectious and the people were full of joy and they're being baptized all over again Jerusalem because there's, they don't have a huge place to go. There's just these little mikvahs, little areas for ritual cleanings. Now, that word koinia means what you have in common. Now, what if you have fellowship with somebody, you have something in common. These people here, you have something in common with. That is Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that Jesus Christ is coming again. But sometimes people still have fellowship with the world, what the Scripture warns about. What does an unbeliever have in common with an unbeliever? Unrighteous with the righteous, because not that you're righteous, but that's your position. What do we have in common? And so when we're talking about this word, it's important we understand common. We have Jesus Christ. He's the center. He's the focus. He's the reason we're here. It's all about Him. And when we come to the, the table, the communion, it's all about what he did. And just as Paul, every time he remembered them, he thanked God. Every time we come to this table, we share together. There's a joy. We have this koinonia together. This excitement that every person who is born again will be in heaven for all eternity. Well, true believers... Share also in different ways. Koinia applies in different ways. The, the fellowship of the faith, or in this case what they're talking about, is really the promoting the gospel because the very day that they were saved, they were telling people about what God had done. Sometimes today we're, we're so worried, well, I don't know what to say. Tell them what God has done for you. That's it. Tell them what God has done for you and then give them John 3.16. Now, I don't know if they were giving John 3.16, if John 3.16 was even there, but they were telling them who Jesus Christ was. Who is the Christ? He's the anointed one. He is the Messiah. They were excited. They were promoting the gospel. They were also financing that gospel. They were giving money to Paul so he could go and minister to people, just as we give the missionaries in this church. We provide, again, for overseas missions and missions here in this town. And by the way, when I was on the mainland, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned last week, I had a chance to be with a Japanese guy. And he was from Tokyo. And uh, 
he was a pastor of a Calvary chapel in Tokyo, and he spoke English very clearly, but um, he was Japanese. He wrote Japanese. And so I, I said, would you come and do something? And we texted uh, Devin in, in uh, Japan in Hiroshima, and he knows the, the people there. So we sent him a message in Japanese from Ron Bra. And so his first reaction must have been, how does Ron know this Japanese? And, and of course, our whole goal was to encourage him in the work that he's doing there. And this guy now is going to be praying for him, praying for the ministry as they're working on the campuses there. Fellowship. Fellowship with a brother from around the world now ministering to someone that you and I know that's close to us. The fellowship of prayer and thanksgiving. That's koinonia. Praying together. Now, I'm going to encourage you, if there's someone here in the church that you're so happy to see every week, would you take time and call them? Call them and pray with them every week. Pray with them on the phone. Pray for this church. Pray for me. Pray for one another. Pray as God would lead you. It doesn't just have to be here. And in that prayer, thank God for those and the things that he allows you to see. And the fellowship or koinonia of love. There's a love for the brothers and sisters. That's what love does. It accepts people. It loves people. It meets people where they're at. Love covers a multitude of sin. I'm not saying he's a sinner, but we're all sinners. Saved by grace. No matter what the diversity, what the background is, that, that fellowship of love is sharing possessions, I said. And, and there's also a, a, a koinonia of a, a, a fellowship and, and really separation from the world because there's places that you and I will not go anymore. Is that true? There's things that we will not do and conversations we will not do. Koinonia. Koinonia. A fellowship in spiritual warfare. How many are going through spiritual warfare now? Don't blame everything on the enemy, but I, I, I believe it's going to continue to increase more and more and more as we go on. But to really pray with one another, pray for them in their situation. Now, whether that's spiritual warfare, I don't know, but are we praying with them? And certainly when I send out those text messages, I get people that respond back praying and happy to pray. That's koinia. You're praying for them. You're holding them up. That's intercession for one another. How precious that is. What an encouragement that is for others when they tell me, you know, I, I'm so encouraged when I hear that. Well, there's a joy of an anticipation. I love this one especially. It's in verse 6. The joy of anticipation is for I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, that word confident means, again, fully persuaded. Paul's fully persuaded when God begins the work in a person that he will finish that work in you and me. It is confident in the gracious work of God in their lives. It's the sovereignty of God. And in, in, in this, it's an active faith that they continue in this word. And, and this is what Paul is seeing, that from the moment they were saved, they continued moving in the Lord. They were loving, they were ministering, they were telling people, they were supporting and giving. Even when they didn't have money, they were giving. Not out of their excess, but what they needed to live on, they were giving and God was providing those needs. And he knew, he knew they were safe. See, these were people that you could see their faith. See, faith is something that you and I, it should be seen, our faith should be seen by the world. There's something different. The way he walks. He doesn't walk in fear or doubt or quivering. But he's fully persuaded and confident whether they use those words or not. There's something different about him. Or her. And, and this is what Paul is. He's fully persuaded. He's confident. He's assured. God started that work. And you know what? God's going to finish that work. Even when someone gets off that track or, or takes a wrong turn. You know how sometimes our, our friends take a wrong turn or Maybe it's you that's taking that wrong turn. God will bring you back and he disciplines those he loves. But God will finish that work. So the apostle's confident of that. In fact, he knows, and as John 1.12 says, for as many that received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, 
even to those who believe in his name. He, he knew that they had received Jesus Christ in their heart. You can see that in a person when they believe Jesus Christ. Their life has changed. It's transformed. They're regenerated as a scripture. They don't have to put on a show. They want to hear the word of God. They want to be used by God. They want to tell everyone about God. And of course, their personality will, they'll react differently. Some will be a little more quiet in the way they do it, but they'll do it. Some will be a little more bold. But they were doing it in the power of the Spirit. See, there's a contrast to that. Look with me in Galatians 3.3. 3. As we saw it earlier, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, you're now trying to perfect it in the flesh? See, some people make a decision for Christ and they're trying to work out their salvation on their own power apart from Christ. But these people were living in the Spirit. Paul had the assurance, and you'll see that when we get in chapter 12, that, that when he would speak to them, he would tell them something, they would make that change in their life because they wanted to honor God. And they would just trust him, they would believe in him. But there are others who are trying to do it on their own power. Those are people oftentimes trying to find favor with God when they already had favor. If I just do a little more, if I just give a little more, then I will be accepted by God. Let me tell you, if you've been born again... God sees you just as you never sinned. He sees you perfectly. He loves you and there's nothing more that you could do that he'll love you any more than he does right now. And I go to life care and I talk to some of the people there and I tell them that and just tears stream down from their eyes, that assurance. They don't know whether they've lived a life good enough. And my own mom is something I've shared for years and years. She just doesn't know no matter how many times I... I read it, and I think this year we had a breakthrough. And only God can open up their hearts to understand that. But these people were living the faith. It was a faith that could be seen. Well, God requires faith for salvation. Uh, faith is not something that, that I've got to prove myself. Certainly James writes and talks about that. A faith without works is dead. I'll show you my faith by my works. And true saving faith will produce works, but not to find favor with God. It's just you love God so much. And that's what was these Philippians. They loved God. They loved Paul. They loved the message they had. They loved the fact that he was going out to where other churches were planted. And, and, and they wanted to be a part of that. They wanted to see others come in to the kingdom of God. See, God is always the initiator, and we simply are the responders. God initiates. He gives you the faith to believe, but we must respond and receive him as our Lord and Savior. And then he comes in our lives and changes us, and we're born again and regenerated. And when that happens, Ephesians 2.10, notice the screen again. Notice we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. You, you now, he is working in you. He's changing you. He's transforming you. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's going to give you these desires. Now, you can suppress these things. You can push them away or you can yield to them and really experience the joy. Being right where God would have you be. Serving and loving and ministering. Being available. Notice which God had prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Philippians 1.6 is so powerful. Look at it again in your text. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is a powerful verse because see, there is the, the day of the Lord and there is the day of the Christ and there are two different events. Please understand that. How many know the difference between the day of the Lord and the day of Christ? Are you guys? Okay, that, maybe that's something I need to teach on. There are two different events. The day of Christ is the day, please understand, that you and I are taken out of this place. It is when the rapture happens. The dead in Christ first will be caught up to be with the Lord. We who are alive will be caught up and we'll go to be with Him in the air. We'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. We meet Him in the clouds and 
And, and I'll address that. And the day of the Lord is always a time of judgment. When the Lord comes back in judgment, his feet touch the ground. But when he comes for his church, this day of Christ, the day of the anointed one, okay? It's when we're caught up to be with him. We're the church, we're the bride. We're going to be with him for seven years during that tribulation time. Why all hell breaks loose on this place. So go back and look at verse 6 again. And he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, God will finish the work and you will be complete and finished and whole. You'll receive a, a new body fashioned for all eternity. But first, let me read the day of the Lord is a, a day of judgment. And that's not appointed for you. First Thessalonians 5, 2 through four, let me show you, because this is the day of the Lord, for you yourselves know full well. Notice I put it in, in, in yellow there. You yourselves know full well the day of the Lord will be just like a thief in the night. And in blue it says, while they are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them. These are the people that are not regenerated. These people are not born again. Suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child, they will not escape. This is the unbelieving world that does not know him. Unregenerate, rebellious like you and me, enemies of the cross like we were once. They will go through this time, a seven-year period of time, but look at that last verse. But you, brethren, speaking to the body of Christ, are not of darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. It's not going to overtake us. We're not going to be there. There are other passages say that we're not appointed to wrath. See, the day of Christ, though, in contrast, clearly refers to a time when believers will be glorified. You'll receive a glorified body. When the salvation is completed in you and me, that's the day of Christ. You will be made perfect. Again, Philippians, again, is saying in verse 6, until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. That time when the work is completed. That, that idea is used four times in this book. It's two other places in the, in the Bible. But look in your text to chapter 1, verse 10. Notice again, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. That's in your text. Jump to chapter 2, verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. We need to hold fast to that word of life so that the day of Christ... And I will have reason to glory because I did not run the race in vain. Paul's concern, as all parents would be concerned, he wanted to bring the word. If you continue in the word, that's important. There's many passages to support that. It's then we will miss this judgment time. The day of Christ is the time that you and I will be caught up to be with the Lord let me show you Philippians, or I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians 15.49. Just as we are all bore the image of the earthly, that's what we have now. Just as Jesus was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, that's what we are, sinful flesh. It goes on to say, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. We'll receive heavenly bodies, glorified bodies is what it's saying. And then in verse 52 of that same chapter, notice what it says, in the moment... Notice in the twinkling eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this is this perishable must put on the imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. This is when the work's finished in you. So he's saying with such encouragement, such joy, you know what? When you see the work in someone, you can be like Paul assured. Well, you know what? I know that God started that work. I know they love the Lord. God's going to finish that work. And I'm going to see that person having everything that God would have them be. This is a, a joy of anticipation, this excitement with what's going to happen. Look with me, the, the joy of affection. It's in verse 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense and the gospel confirmation of the gospel, and you are partakers of the grace with me. For God is my witness how I long, or I long for you 
with all the affection of Christ. Look at Romans 5, 5 on the screen for a second. Notice, the love of God has been poured in the hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God has poured His love into every heart. When a person says, well, I'm not so loving. God's poured His own love into your heart. It doesn't stop at that. Notice with me, again in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 on the screen, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need of anyone to write to you, for you yourselves know and taught by God to love one another. When God pours His love in the heart, He shows us how to love one another. He gives us opportunities to love. And Paul's seeing this happen. Paul's just ecstatic because the people are loving one another. Someone will call and they say, well, I, I, I'm moving here. And I said, well, okay, we have a sweet, loving fellowship. They love God and they love one another. What wonderful words to say. What joy to say. Because a lot of people can have all the, the warm, fuzzy emotions, but they're really not willing to lay down their life. Not willing to, to, to die themselves to help someone if they need. But you guys will, and I just thank God for that. So I want to ask a couple questions. What robs you of your joy, or the believer of the joy? See, because if we're not joyful and and there's joy and there's happiness, right? Happiness is based upon circumstances. The joy is something that you know that to be absent of bodies, to be present with the Lord. I know for me that I'll see my family in, in heaven. I know that God will finish that work. But what robs us of our joy? Within the body of Christ, universally, it's very clear in Matthew 13 that the, the wheat and tares grow side by side. Satan has planted the enemy trying to rob you of your joy. And if you focus on those negative things, you will miss the joy of the Lord. He's looking to rob you of the joy. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, there's those who say they have faith, yet they have no works. There's people that, that believe they're really saved, but they're not saved, and, and there's no evidence of that in their lives. And sometimes believers are so worried what others are doing, they're not doing what they would be doing. They're not interceding. They're not praying. And so focused upon others in a negative way, the joy is robbed out of their life. And they begin to blame others for all the problems that are in their life. You don't make me happy. Well, you don't need to make me happy. I have a joy in the Lord. And that's what you're supposed to be able to say. I have a joy in the Lord. There's something wrong when, when people are in that place and we need to have mercy upon them. We need to pray. Or people trying to always find favor with people. See, they're focused upon themselves. It, it, it's, it's robbing them themselves of the joy. Deceiving themselves. Oh, again, 2 Corinthians 3.5. Let me read it this time. Test yourselves to see if you're of the faith. Examine yourselves and do, not, do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail that test? Is Jesus Christ in my life? Do I have a life again? Is my life one that people can see that faith that's real, that's resting and trusting in, in, in Jesus Christ? And, and that's so important. That's the place that God would have us be. Romans 2.4 says, again, Oh, do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Sometimes there's sin in people's lives. Harbor sin, unconfessed sin. And maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life today. Maybe there's something that has been robbing you of your joy, making you miserable Blaming somebody else for your problems. Maybe it's just an immoral sin, whatever it may be. It robs you of that joy. You, you see that in, in the scripture. Let me read again in Psalm 51, 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. See, this was after David had committed sin with Bathsheba, adultery. 
immorality and then killed her husband. And for one year, he's miserable. God's allowing him to be afflicted and suffering. And, and, and sometimes people are suffering because they're sinning in life and the Lord's disciplining them. They don't respond. And all they need to do is repent, confess their sins, cry out to God as, as David did, restore to me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. God wants to return that joy to you. Return that joy to every single person that we would be the most joyful people in this world. John 10, 28, 29 says this, and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You have the assurance the God who has began that work will finish that work and the devil cannot snatch you out of his hand. He can rob you of your joy if you open the door to him. But it's a choice that you individually make. What do you need to do? For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Quit living that life. Well, what if? What if this? What if Deal with the reality. The Lord is coming again. Notice what he says in the final verse in John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come to you and receive you to myself. And there you will be with me also. The Lord is coming for every single believer. That alone should be the greatest joy. What if it were today? Is that okay? No, don't, don't humor me. What if it would be today? If you have the joy, you will be telling about Jesus and you'll be bringing everyone with you. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank you, Lord, that you, you tell us the truth. You tell us sometimes what we don't always want to hear. But it is the truth, the truth that will set us free. 